Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 22nd episode of 2021. On June 1st, yesterday, a number of our member companies began having their employees return back to the office. In most cases, masks are no longer required. This is a very positive milestone as we work towards getting this pandemic behind us. So what does our future hold post-pandemic? What we do know is that our lives have changed forever. And to help address this question, the Fiber Broadband Association has launched a global work from home survey with our membership in the Americas and with each of our Fiber the Home Council Global Alliance Council chapters. The results are very interesting and some of the regional differences will really surprise you. We'll be holding a global webinar at the end of the month to share our findings. So stay, stay tuned to that. In addition, we're going to be holding the future post-pandemic summit on the last day of our 2021 Fiber Connect Conference in Nashville on July 28th. The future post-pandemic summit will include keynotes from Nicol Lamore, who's the chief HR officer at IBM and is responsible for 350,000 employees worldwide. She will be discussing the future of work. We will also have world-renowned researcher and physician Dr. Yakumar Crystal from Vanderbilt, who share with us her vision on the future of healthcare. And for the future of education, Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee, the director of the Center um, of Technology Innovation um, at Brookings Institute, will share her vision on, on enabling equitable access to technology across the US to harness its power to create change in communities across the world. So early bird pricing for our 2021 Fiber Connect Conference in Nashville, July 25th to 28th, is in effect until June 18th. That's 16 more days. So don't delay and register today. Uh, this morning, we have a really interesting topic, which takes a look at when does it make sense for cable operators to move from their legacy DOCSIS HFC networks to fiber to the home. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with my good friend, Rosemary Cochran from Vertical Systems Group, who shared her insights on business um, fiber trends and how fiber providers and emerging services are lighting up the US landscape. Today, we're gonna be examining next-gen HFC versus fiber the home with two of the top experts in the cable industry. Join us today, are David Strauss and Jack Burton, principals of Broadband Success Partners. Um, they're consultants focused on technology, operations, marketing, and finance needs of service providers, suppliers, and telecom investors. You know, I met David and Jack a few years ago at a cable event in Denver, and we have done some work together over the years. You know, prior to co-founding Broadband Success Partners, Jack was Senior Director of Systems Engineering for Altice USA and Cable Vision Systems. Jack served as Chairman of Cable Lab's Packet Cable Certification Board from 2011 to 2017 and has written for Broadband Libraries Magazine, Light Reading, and other publications. 
with prior posts at Lightpath, MTV Networks, Tribune United, and Warner Amex. He has over 35 years of industry experience. Jack holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from RPI, and as an aviator and ham radio enthusiast, he lives in Kings Park, New York. David has 26 years of senior marketing and business development and sales experience in telecom and technology sectors. Prior to co-founding the firm, David designed and executed the original go-to-market plan for Comcast Business Metro Ethernet Services. He was also the vice president of marketing at Lightpath, which is Altice. Early in his career, David led the marketing team that launched Sprint's wireless business in New York metro area. He also worked at AT&T, IBM, and Juniper Networks. David has an MBA from NYU and a BA from Tufts University. So welcome, David and Jack. You know, we look forward to gaining some insights on the future of AF, um, HFC and when cable operators will make, be making that transition to fiber the home networks. So for our audience, you know, please type in the questions as we go, and we'll get to that at the Q&A conclusion, conclusion of the presentation. So with that, over to David and Jack. Good morning, Gary. Uh, this is Jack. David, want to say hello? Morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, cable operators running hybrid fiber coax have been doing so for many years, and at least 20. Uh, uh, fiber has been a mainstay of the cable industry. The uh, hybrid fiber coax infrastructure consists of uh, the head end where the signals are generated, generally going over an analog fiber transmission out to a node via optical signals. Then at the node, those signals are converted back into radio frequency and sent over the coax. Uh, traditional plant, you'll go through a number of amplifiers between that node and the home and uh, in a typical legacy plant with uh, the standard sub-split where only a small portion of the spectrum is devoted to signals from the home back to the network, um, you can get about one gigabit per second maximum downstream speed and maybe 100 megabits per second maximum upstream speed. Uh, perhaps something less than that. It depends how much spectrum is devoted to data services. But in a legacy plant, again, you'll have the node followed by some number of amplifiers, then through the taps, the drops, and into the equipment in the home. Uh, that system of hybrid fiber coax could be upgraded uh, to handle higher bandwidths. Some of the alternative or different methods for upgrading that plant uh, would include, well, first the low split, which is what you have now in a legacy plant. You can bring DOCSIS 3.1 to bear to get a little bit more speed than maybe DOCSIS 3.0. Uh, but one of the first things an operator could do is change that split to go to a high split where more of the spectrum is devoted to signals from the home to the network. So you could get higher upstream speeds. Uh, if you devote enough spectrum to that, you could get gigabit symmetrical. Another alternative is a new technique called full duplex DOCSIS. Uh, where you can transmit and receive both directions over a certain uh, large range of frequencies in the plant. Uh, that requires elaborate echo cancellation at the node. It requires that the architecture be changed to what they call distributed access architecture, where signals are actually generated at the node rather than in the head end, and digital fibers link the node and the head end. 
Uh, and it also requires that uh, the operator use a technique called node plus zero, where, as you see in the diagram here, instead of amplifiers, we have new mini nodes replacing all of the old amplifiers. Every one of those gets a fiber feed, and every one of them is a distributed access architecture node. So we have, in effect, a node plus zero system where the node feeds coax plant passively between that node and the home. You can extend the spectrum beyond 1.2 gigahertz of RF spectrum to get the capability for multiple gigabits per second upstream and downstream uh, with extended spectrum or with full duplex doxis. So that's what the operator can do uh, with HFC. What can they do with fiber? Operators played with fiber to, to the home using a technique called RF overglass or RFOG, which is an analog technology. What that basically does is puts the node at the side of the home of every customer. That has fallen out of favor lately because of some uh, problems with optical beat interference where multiple homes using the latest DOCSIS techniques, multiple homes may need to transmit at the same time. You can get into a situation where um, homes transmitting at the same time could be operating on exactly the same wavelength and interfere with one another. So most operators have left our fog and going, going, gone towards PON, typical passive optical networks that are common in telco applications and other fiber provider applications are also being used by cable operators. Um, there are different flavors of PON, GPON, common, very common, among telephone operators and many cable operators. EPON, common among cable operators. XGSPON, a little less common, uh, but used for higher speeds. We, we can get 10 gigabits symmetrical over that. And NGPON2, really only adopted by Verizon, but could be used for multiple 10 gigabit services and combining several of them to get maybe 40 gigabits per second, maybe more. It's very expensive because it relies on DWDM technology at every customer. Well, what are the decision factors that, this, that help an operator decide whether they're going to upgrade their coax or go to hybrid fiber coax? I'm sorry, or go to passive optical networks. Thanks, Jack. So uh, first factor to consider, not necessarily in prior order, market conditions. You know, the density of the market that you're in and perhaps intend to be in if you're going to go into an adjacent market, for example. And what are the demographic, uh, what's the demographic profile of that market as well? Um, very importantly, obviously, the competitive uh, nature of, of your market is, is key. And those of you who participated in the, the pre-webinar poll, 42% uh, of you said you compete against um, a fiber provider today. So that that is a, you know, obviously a critical a factor in, in the decision as to what your upgrade path will be. Other things you see here from a competitive perspective, what are the offerings of that of the competition? And you know, if they're at speeds you can't achieve, for example, uh, with your uh, current network, you know, an upgrade path, perhaps the fiber would make a lot of sense. And then of course the underlying technology. And you know, a, a traditional SWOT analysis will help in, in assessing you know, the pros and cons and, and uh, you know, the, the path you might want to take. So with that, back to Jack. All right, the first uh, consideration we, we mentioned in the list is construction. Uh, an operator might be concerned that when they build a fiber to the home network, 
they'd have to replace all of their outside plant coax uh, with fiber and all their drops with fiber drops, and they can't reuse any of the coax network. Uh, in reality, uh, new types of fiber can reduce those construction costs. There's um, bend-in sensitive fiber, which can run around corners and in really small places uh, without overstressing the fiber. New duct systems allow many, many fibers to be placed in a very small space. And of course, the difference in underground construction depends on the network size and complexity. Next build. There are some other costs about building the networks, uh, which we have to consider. If you need to expand the bandwidth of your plant, and that's likely, especially if you want to be ready for multiple gigabits per second speeds, you have to change the taps. Uh, the tap plates will need to be changed uh, to allow more, uh, more spectrum to get through them. Uh, depending on how old your existing tap housings were, they may need to be replaced. When you change a tap, uh, you cause outages at that tap, certainly. Uh, and if it's an older type of tap, which doesn't have a bypass switch, you'll cause outages for every home beyond it. Uh, also, if you need to change the housing, whether you have a bypass switch or not, you'll be causing those outages. Uh, well, do you need to replace your drops? If you're running uh, very, very high frequency through the drops, you might not have enough signal at the home to reach all the devices. That might necessitate a change to a home gateway architecture where you only hit one device in the home, it terminates the signals and then generates new signals to feed the devices in the home. Uh, if you need to expand your, your RF spectrum out to three gigahertz, it's very likely that you'll need to change your coax drop cable. Oh, the winner of this, of course, is fiber to the home because it doesn't have to, you don't have to worry about changing all those drops. Uh, service disruption, we touched on some of the outages that changing taps would cause, but even if you're just changing your nodes and changing your amplifiers into nodes, uh, you're still going to um, disrupt customers. Doing that out of outages can help, but it's certainly not going to eliminate those outages. Every outage annoys customers, making them more likely to switch to a competitor. Um, changing bandwidth causes outages. And of course, if you have to change to that gateway-based architecture, you'd have to visit the customer home, which means service appointments, customers might need to miss work. Next. Oh, and of course, again, fiber to the home, because you build it as an overbuild or an overlay to your coax, it wouldn't cause any of those disruptions. Maintenance. Well, with a coax network, you have to detect signal leakage. You have to measure it and report on it. You have to repair any of the leaks. Uh, if you're expanding your bandwidth, now you've got to detect leaks at new frequencies. You might need new leakage detection gear. And you have to worry about new, new sources of ingress of leaks of signals into the plant, such as from small cell radios or cell towers located near your plant. Uh, when you have damaged connectors, you can get water into the plant, which can cause corrosion. And that, again, causes outages or poor performance that has to be repaired. Levels on your plant have to be monitored and maintained, and you might have to do proof of performance tests and report those figures. With a fiber network, there is no preventive maintenance required. Really, you only have to service it when it breaks. Um, one person we interviewed talked about the basically 10 to 1 difference in operating costs. And again, fiber is a clear winner in terms of maintenance. Uh, we tried to quantify these for a sample system. 
And as you can see that small fiber to the home box on the bottom there, it just is uh, much, much smaller than all the other operating costs uh, for preventive maintenance, you know, balancing your amplifiers, doing typical coax repairs for corrosion and powering the system, which is a, a huge, huge cost that uh, we didn't even talk about yet. What does it cost to upgrade the coax? Well, I mean, one of the major factors you're going to consider is, is your uh, CapEx that you spend on upgrading your coax plant a lot less expensive than up upgrading or overbuilding your, your plant with fiber. Well, if you only have to do a modest upgrade, like if your plant's already pretty modern uh, and you're just changing your split or just modestly improving your bandwidth, the cost to upgrade your hybrid fiber coax network could be quite low. And uh, as, sh as shown here, um, it could be a, a small amount per home. If you're going to do one of the more um, robust upgrades uh, to enable multiple gigabits per second service, and you're doing that from a basis, especially starting with a much older plant, it could get quite costly. And again, as I mentioned, it depends uh, where you're starting from. So to uh, sum up, fiber deployment costs are significant, but upgrading hybrid fiber coax significantly is also expensive. And if you uh, go to hybrid, if you upgrade your hybrid fiber coax to where you need to change to um, a gateway-based architecture, that can also get very, very expensive. The big difference between fiber and, and coax is an operating cost. Once you install a fiber to the home network, no power, no routine maintenance, no signal leakage, and no metallic connectors to corrode. Um, so you see here, thanks, Jack, that was wonderful. Um, <clears throat> as you can see, this uh, chief technology officer said, we felt we would never be done pushing fiber deeper and deeper um, until everyone had a fiber drop. Why put in coax hardware that we know someday we have to take out anyway? Next slide. And now the overall winner, most importantly, fiber to the home. So uh, Jack introduced us, or I'm sorry, Gary introduced us at the start of this webinar. And um, as was noted, we serve a couple of different segments of the market, including members of this audience uh, with these types of services. And uh, that concludes our formal portion. Now we'll open it up to questions. Thanks, David and Jack. You know, I always learned so much from you guys, um, you know, with all your extensive expertise uh, and history in, um, in coax and with the cable industry. So if I was to sum this out, Jack, what I hear you saying is um, if you already have a HFC network and you can do a modest upgrade, it's pretty pretty cheap to keep on the DOCSIS road until you start getting to things like node plus zero. And the only, so the only reason from what David said is that you might be encouraged to upgrade to fiber would be two reasons I would think, right? One is competition, as we saw from our, our poll, if you have an alternative of, um, fiber, as we're seeing, you know, a lot of money going into fiber now, then you might do it from competitive reasons, or you'd be at that point where the maintenance cost is killing you, right? If you're paying 10 to 11x more a year for maintenance. So is that the thing that's kind of holding everybody back, you know, from kind of the, the big tipping point is, is minimal cap, capex, and they can live with um, having a ton of um, operating costs? Well, the operating costs that they have are what they have now. They're used to it. That's that's what you know what they're spending on maintenance. And if they upgrade their coax, 
they will see some small reduction in operating costs simply because they're using newer equipment. Maybe they're not considering themselves being bled by high operating costs now, but it is what they're accustomed to. They could save a lot in operating costs though if they went to, you know, if they went to fiber and eventually shut down their coax. The other thing is um, shutting down the coax is something that's probably years away. Uh, even for an operator that's decided to go all fiber to the home, they'd have to build that network and slowly transition their customers over to it. I mean, even Verizon, uh, areas where they built Fios still hasn't transitioned uh, their their customers over from their old copper network to any great degree. Now, given that you have a lot of um, experience working at Altis, the question came in is, how do you account for Altis upgrading to fiber now? Well, Altis is a unique animal. Their um, primary consideration um, ever since they came into uh, the United States uh, and even before when they were just in Europe, their primary driver is operating cost. They care about reducing OPEX like nobody's business. And for them to decide on fiber to the home uh, as a strategy to reduce operating expense is uh, well in line with their company philosophy. And uh, you know the fact that they realized early on, I guess from the European experience, that fiber to the home gives them that great reduction in operating cost while allowing them to be basically future-proof, uh, it, it all makes good sense. Yeah, actually we have a, um, in a couple of weeks, we'll have an equity analyst from Wall Street on to talk about the multiple that's being generated by having fiber to the home asset. So I think there's gonna be a point where every operator is going to be looking at how they can significantly increase their company valuation by having more miles of fiber. So that would be really interesting. Uh, one of the other questions we had here was, so, you know, where are the revenues to, you know, increase to justify the fiber to home upgrade? David, you want to touch on that one? Well, I think it's a, it's a function of the new types of services one could provide. Um, so, you know, arguably, and again, the competitive nature of the particular market will, will be a driver here, uh, but the opportunity to perhaps charge, you know, higher, a higher price for obviously higher speeds will, will certainly be a factor and, and contribute to additional revenue. And, you know, beyond that, you know, other types of services beyond sort of the basic uh, table stakes, right? You know, point to point, multi-point services, um, particularly in the commercial market, uh, if, if that's a market that's being served or will be served in the future. So there are ways uh, to offset uh, some of those costs with additional revenue. Right, and uh, you didn't, part of the commercial market would also be the small cell deployment. True. Um, having an extensive fiber network certainly helps, that helps make that possible uh, as right. a, a wholesale revenue stream for the- Yeah, backhaul and mid-haul, that's right. Now, you know, clearly there's going to be a, a ton of, I mean, we're in the beginning of a huge fiber investment cycle here in the U.S. And we saw Charter um, kind of leading the way. They won $1.2 billion in RDOF. And it appears from that topology that will be fiber to the home. They've since committed to adding another uh, $3.8 billion of their own funding. So $5 billion um, to be able to deliver more than a million um, homes in 24 states, 115,000 miles of fiber. Uh, so do you think that will start the tipping point? 
you know, if Charter makes that $5 billion investment in fiber, that um, the rest of the, the cable industry will follow suit? Well, wow. that's hard to say. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of the cable industry is very, very in, entrenched in hybrid fiber coax. And um, you know, one of the reasons that I think it's, well, for, first of all, let me take a step back. For the smaller and mid-sized operators, they're already going to fiber to the home. Yeah, absolutely. At least for all their new builds, uh, and some are even going back and doing it for their doing their upgrades to fiber to the home. Uh, mostly because they would be in the camp where making that investment and in upgrade is probably significant because their plant may be a bit older, and you know less easy to do a modest upgrade to get the speeds that they need. Um, for a larger cable operator that has a modern hybrid fiber coax network now, they can do those modest upgrades, so they're not going to be as eager to jump to fiber to the home. I think that there isn't really so much a tipping point, but it's where the, the operator faces the uh, competitive pressure and um, where you know where they they need that that extra speed to differentiate themselves from the competition where you'll see them probably push to fiber to the home sooner. So along those lines, uh, we have a question that came in and says, you know, what's your opinion on hybrid solutions to gradually migrate from HFC to fiber to home, you know, using hybrid OLTs or uh, equipment such as virtual CCAP and remote phi nodes, or is it better to just directly migrate to fiber to the home? Well, again, the answer uh, as usual is, is it depends. But I would certainly recommend um, the uh, the GAP uh, generic uh, access platform work that uh, that SCTE is, has underway, where you could use the same housing to do all of those different kinds of things. But whether whether you uh, up the problem is when you spend all the money upgrading to one of these Node Plus Zero solutions, you could have spent that money just doing fiber to the home. And as far as doing remote remote OLTs using that kind of a platform, absolutely that's an architecture to consider because that will let you save on uh, construction of huge fiber bundles back to the head end. You won't have to do that. You can use DWDM and if you have several remote OLTs could replace dozens of remote nodes that you might need in the node plus zero network. So kind of like the Henry Ford, uh, at some point you have to quit investing in faster horses. <laughs> uh, so the other question here is, and we're running out of time, so I'll try to get to these quickly. Uh, so 25 gig EPONs now ratified by the IEEE and available from some vendors. Is that a better option than 10 gig PON, like an XGS or 10 gig EPON? I, I think it's probably best to avoid religious discussions. All right, no, the last one I know we're running out of time. But how significant uh, is 5G? Seriously, the, the nice thing about the uh, the FSAN on architecture is it can work with all of them. And it's it's not out of the question to change horses, to use that analogy again, if, if you need to. Um, you know, if you wanna go 25 gig now versus 10 gig, certainly uh, 25 gig EPON is a way to do it. All Ultimately, right. I don't think it matters much because most, most customers, at least residential, don't need more than a gig symmetrical now anyway. So it'll be a while before you run up against those limits. All right, last question. How significant is uh, 5G interference going to be? Will that be a, a big factor soon? 
uh, it's a, it's significant from a, from a standpoint of uh, signal leakage for hybrid fiber coax networks. Uh, whether it's 5G or 4G or any other RF, RF uh, emitter, if it's operating on frequencies that are on the cable, which is not the case for you know mid-band 5G now, but certainly the uh, UHF 5G that the not really 5G that's operating, uh, you know, in, in the spectrum below one gigahertz, yes, it can interfere and is already, but it's not a factor if you maintain your plant properly. And of course, it's not a factor if you're operating fiber. Well, I hate that we're out of time because I know there's a few more questions and maybe you guys can answer those um, offline. But uh, Dave and Jack, I always love talking to you guys about the future of cable and future of fiber and, uh, it's really been a very informative session. So next week, we're going to be discussing alleviating labor burden, a roadmap for those new to fiber with Clearfield, Cruzio, Internet, and Mitco as they discuss time and cost-saving techniques learned through case studies of deployment in all types of networks, to all types of train, to every type of network deployment. So you're not going to want to miss that. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. Have a great week.